Support for this program is provided by Chevron, the human energy company. This is Politico Energy. I'm Catherine Morehouse. LEED certification has become a gold standard for indicating that a building is constructed with climate considerations in mind. More than 58,000 construction projects have received the LEED seal of approval from the U.S. Green Building Council, which developed the rating system a quarter century ago. But there are major oversights in the rating system that do not take into account a building's susceptibility to flooding. A new analysis by Politico's e News and First Street has revealed that it's an issue that could spell danger for the more than 800 LEED-certified structures in the U.S. So today, E&E's Corbin Hayar dissects the issues with LEED certification that are putting the newest generation of climate-friendly buildings in jeopardy. It's Wednesday, September 20th. Corbin, there's a terrible irony in the fact that buildings constructed to essentially combat climate change are falling victim to one symptom of climate change, which is flooding. Could you break down the situation for us? Sure. So there's this group called the U.S. Green Building Council, and they were formed 30 years ago in large part to help buildings, which are a major source of emissions, cut down on their impact on climate change. Uh, Over the years, the group has sort of broadened their mission to make buildings healthier and adjust to other uh, changes in sustainable design. But one area that they haven't addressed to this point is resiliency, or at least they haven't addressed it to the extent that we're seeing the impacts that we're seeing today. And as a result, we found hundreds of buildings that have been built in the past decade that are at what is considered extreme risk of flooding, according to the First Street Foundation, a a nonprofit that models likely climate impacts. This analysis of LEED certified buildings shows that the problem is undeniable. What are experts proposing should be done about the lack of resiliency standards under that LEED umbrella and what improvements could make buildings more flood resistant? There's a lot of steps that buildings can take, LEED certified buildings and traditional buildings, for lack of a better term, to improve their resiliency to flooding. And, you know, some of those are fairly simple in terms of, you know, moving HVAC equipment up to the second floor, designing the main floors to be easy to clean out after flooding. They're called washout floors. But in terms of the U.S. Green Building Council, there are specific things that can be done to change the scorecard system that the U.S. Green Building Council uses to determine whether a building is certified and at what particular level. And right now they have pilot points for certain resiliency actions. And people that I spoke with believe that resiliency should be designed to be more central to the lead system so that buildings have to do a site assessment and sort of design for the local conditions and the risks inherent in that area, as opposed to just sort of taking one or two steps to protect a building from flooding. Because if these buildings are flooding repeatedly and are not designed for that water, it can lead to millions of dollars in costly repairs or potentially the need to abandon the building before the end of its useful life. Right. That makes sense. That's really interesting. 
And another thing that you're reporting is that these organizations say that they are working to incorporate resilience into their standards. And I'm wondering what the timeline is they're working under and whether that's fast enough to avoid some of the major economic consequences that you just described. Most of the focus is on the U.S. Green Building Council, which manages the LEED certification program. But there's also the International Code Council, which is essentially an organization that establishes model building codes that can then be adopted by states, counties, and cities to set their own building standards. And the LEED system essentially sits on top of the local building codes. And so both the International Code Council and the U.S. Green Building Council are aware of the shortcomings that they have around resiliency, and both are in the midst of internal processes where they are putting out proposals for review, accepting comments, and planning to update their standards in the coming years. But these are very slow processes that are intended to involve a lot of input. In the meantime, we have new buildings going up every day that are intended to last for decades that are not being built to withstand the challenges that we face today and the ones that we will certainly face in the years and decades to come. Also, an appellate court ruled on Monday that the EPA wrongly approved a Colorado air permitting program that allowed the state to ignore ozone-forming emissions from the drilling and fracking of oil and gas wells. The suit was brought by the Center for Biological Diversity, which argued that there is a loophole in the program. The organization said the victory will help it fight similar rules in Texas, New Mexico, and Pennsylvania. The controversy stemmed from the EPA's 2022 approval of changes to Colorado's state implementation plan for meeting the 2015 ozone standard. In CBD's lawsuit, it argued that Colorado has permitted thousands of oil and gas well pad facilities in places that don't meet ozone standards, but none have been found to be major sources. For more news on energy and the environment, subscribe to our free newsletter at politico.com power switch. And subscribe to Politico Pro to read our morning energy newsletter. Some of the music in today's show was composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. And that's our show. I'm Catherine Morehouse, and we'll see you back tomorrow. Before you go, be sure to check out our new Politico podcast, Power Play, launching this Thursday. The show introduces you to the top global leaders in business, politics, and culture, and dives deep into how they think about the pressing news around them. So be sure to check out Power Play wherever you get your podcasts. Power Play is Politico's new transatlantic podcast hosted by me, Anne McElvoy. Each week, we take listeners inside the minds of those who wield power across the Atlantic and beyond to better understand the choices they make and how that shapes the news agenda. There are some things, Anne, that even the chief of MI6 finds it a little bit difficult to try and interpret in terms of who's in and who's out. So there's one podcast to follow now. It's Power Play. Every Thursday morning as of September the 21st. See you then. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Chevron is working to responsibly meet rising energy demand across their U.S. operations, like at their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. 
Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand.